0: You ain't heard nothing
1: yet.
0: Get around, let me What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make it on an offer. You talking to me? Straight out of the I don't know who you are. Why, so sick? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, yes. I'm better. It's the lion! Snap out of it! If you call me Mr. Oh, boy's best friend, is You have no style. You're going all day, little dog. Oh. Fasten your seatbelts.
1: It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Before we talk about this month's new theme, it's time for the new segment, Two Sentence Movie Reviews for Movies I Saw in a Movie Theater. First, Nobody, the film that is the answer to the question, what if John Wick was a suburban dad? This movie is just 90 minutes of fun. Highly recommend. Second, and finally, Chaos Walking, which is almost a good movie, but unfortunately it fell a little flat, which is a shame because the premise of the film was actually quite interesting. The other reviews for the film, like on Rotten Tomatoes, are way harsher on this movie than I think it deserves. Well, it's another month, and that means it's time for a new theme. This month, we're covering the history of the Academy Awards, memorable moments and controversies that occurred at the ceremony, what to expect at this year's ceremony, and how to get nominated for an Oscar and the modern campaign trail. Yes, there is a campaign trail for Oscars. Also, I'm setting up an Oscars bracket contest, which will earn you some sweet Tinsel Factory merch, the details of which you can find on the Instagram or Facebook pages for this show. If you'd like to enter, follow the instructions over there in the next couple of days. I need a couple of extra days to set it up because it's been a little chaotic over here. The Academy Awards is the world's longest running award show, garnering billions of television viewers throughout the world each year. This week, we'll learn all about how and why they came to be. I'll give you a hint, the original purpose of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was not to give out fancy golden statues. Their original goals, when they proved to be not possible and probably a little too difficult, were pushed by the wayside to make room for the award show. What were those? Well, stick around and you'll find out. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. Tinseltown had an image problem. It was 1926, and the film studios were racked by scandal after scandal, seemingly for five continuous years, three of the major scandals of which we covered in the last two weeks, Thomas Ince's strange death, the Virginia Rappé and Fatty Arbuckle hotel scandal, and of course the murder of William Desmond Taylor. In addition, there were also a string of random deaths and scandals revolving around alcohol and drugs as well, which wasn't great because it was prohibition. To top it all off, Charlie Chaplin had just gotten his second divorce, and it came out that he, not for the first nor last time, had been with her while she was underage. His soon-to-be ex-wife, Lita, also mentioned in the divorce complaint, some of Chaplin's, let's say, horizontal appetites, which if any of that got out to the public at large, would somehow be blamed on Hollywood as well. Somebody had to do something. Louis B. Mayer, the West Coast head of MGM, had once been an impoverished child in Russia before becoming one of the richest men in 1920s America. He had started his career in New York, but when the movie business at large moved west, so did he. Finding the California sunshine to be agreeable, Mayer set out to put down roots, deciding that a beach house in Santa Monica would be the best for his wife and daughters, Mayer decided to build the house from scratch and had the head of design at MGM, Cedric Gibbons, draw up the plans. Mayer also worked with the production manager on site, Joe Cohn, to get the house built as quickly as possible. Cohn landed on a six-week schedule using three different crews of workers. Since this was all being done through the studio, however, this meant that the employment agreements had to be done through the newly formed Studio Laborers Union, which is now known as the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, which MGM had just signed an agreement with. This meant that the workers would have secured rates of pay and overtime. Well, Mayer didn't want to pay that, and Cohn found a workaround where they only had to hire a few of the studio workers for the job and rely on cheap labor for the rest. The house was completed on time to Mayer's delight, but a realization struck him in the process. If the laborers could unionize, what was he going to do if the actors, directors, and God forbid the writers decided to do the same? Mayer was also an incredibly conservative man and was quite troubled by the scandals that were rocking his industry, so he decided to do something about it. He wanted to brainstorm an organization that would work toward improving Hollywood's image after the scandals and serve as an intermediary between the studios and those dreadful unions assembled at Mayer's home under the guise of a dinner party. Director Fred Niblo, actor Conrad Nagel, and producer Fred Beetson brainstormed ideas for an organization that could do all of those things and more. In this first meeting, the four also drummed up the idea of having an annual banquet and established the original membership branches of the organization, which were actors, directors, writers, technicians, and producers. Today, that number has ballooned up to 17. Now that they had come up with the bare bones of the idea of the organization, they needed to get others on board. This meeting occurred on January 11th, 1927 at the Ambassador Hotel in Hollywood. Mayer convinced the 36 attendees from all walks of the film industry that the International Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was the cure to everything that ailed the film industry. Attendees that night included some of the biggest names of the day, including Mary Pickford, Cecil B. DeMille, Sid Grauman, Douglas Fairbanks, Jesse Lasky, and Irving Thalberg, who, in addition to the other attendees, all liked the idea of the Academy and became its founding members. The Articles of Incorporation were filed under the finalized name for the organization, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, on May 4, 1927. Douglas Fairbanks was elected to serve as the Academy's first first president. A week after the AMPAs, as we'll call it from now on, was granted nonprofit status by the state, the official organizational banquet was held at the Biltmore Hotel on May 11th. 300 additional people were invited, and of those, 230 paid the $100 initiation fee on the spot. That night, they awarded the first honorary membership to a person who was ironically the reason why many of them had fled to Los Angeles in the first place, to Thomas Edison. Today, Membership is invite only. The Ampa's first home was at 6912 Hollywood Boulevard, which for those of you who like to sightsee, is roughly where the magnificent Tchotchke store, The Hollywoodland Experience, is now located, across the street from the current venue for the Academy Awards. A few months later, they moved essentially two doors down to the Roosevelt Hotel, where they set up shop on the mezzanine level. The club lounge was converted to a screening facility for the Academy, which could play both Vitaphone, which was sound on disc, and Moviefone, which was sound on film, movies. As the organization expanded, they moved a bunch more and are currently spread out between three, soon to be four, places in Los Angeles. There's the Academy Headquarters Building in Beverly Hills, which also contains the state of the art Samuel Goldwyn Theater, the Mary Pickford Center of Motion Picture Study, which is in Central Hollywood and serves many purposes, but most notably holds the Academy Film Archive, and the Fairbanks Center for Motion Picture Study in Beverly Hills, which is home to the Margaret Herrick Library which holds a collection on the history and development of the motion picture. In September, the Academy Museum will join this list. While the original reason the Academy was founded was union relations, this would fall by the wayside pretty quickly to focus on awards of merit instead. These awards of merit would become the Academy Awards. More on this in a bit, but first I wanted to go through some of the other important contributions the AMPAs have had over the years that most people are likely unaware of. For example, in 1929, in conjunction with the University of Southern California, the AMPAs created America's first film school. The founding faculty included D.W. Griffith, Ernst Lubitsch, and Irving Thalberg. USC's film program is, to this day, probably the best-known film program in the country. It's certainly the one with the most pretentious alumni. That's right, I said it. I went to state film school. In 1934, the Academy began publication of the Screen Achievement Records Bulletin, which today is known as the Motion Picture Credits Database. This is a list of films and credits which qualify for Academy Awards, as well as other films released in Los Angeles County using research materials from the Academy's Margaret Herrick Library. Basically, the AMPAs had a paper IMDB, internet movie database, before IMDB was IMDB. This was important because for years, Many people were not given proper credit for their work in film, and this made sure that even without proper credits on screen, the credit of the artists will go to the artist who did the work. Another publication of the 1930s was the Academy Players Directory, which they started printing in 1937. It is essentially an address book with photos of actors and the names of their agent or industry contact. The directory was published by the Academy in 2006 when the publishing rights were sold to a private company. The Academy has also been involved in improving the technical aspects of filmmaking since its founding in 1927. By 1938, the Science and Technology Council of the Academy consisted of 36 technical committees addressing issues related to sound recording and reproduction, projection, lighting, film preservation, and cinematography in hopes to improve the art form and amass the progress that was being made at the time. A report on incandescent illumination was released and was based on a series of Academy-sponsored seminars, which were attended by 150 cinematographers. A second book, Sound Recording for Motion Pictures, was published in 1931, which was based on a lecture series on sound techniques. These books allowed the knowledge compiled by the Academy members to spread throughout the industry. In the 1970s, the Visiting Artists program was established. Academy members began traveling throughout the U.S. to give presentations on filmmaking topics. It showed people from outside the film industry that this wasn't just a form of entertainment, but could also be seen as an art form. At the Samuel Goldwyn Theater in Beverly Hills, a series called Film Classics Revisited launched in the 1980s. It featured a new component, post-screening discussions, with each film's cast and crew. The format was a great success and became the norm for hundreds of film screenings in the decades that have followed and eventually became an integral part of the Oscar campaigns. Several other programs were developed in the 80s and 90s, the most notable of this probably being the Nickel Fellowships in Screenwriting, which to this day remains a prestigious international writing competition. If anyone is interested in looking into those fellowships further, the link will be in the show notes. And now it's time to talk about the thing you probably wanted to hear when you clicked on this episode, the Academy Awards.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's my privilege this time, in the absence of Mr. William DeMille, to present to you Mr. Louis B. Mayer. Mr. Mayer is the gentleman who originally conceived the idea of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. It was through his hard work and earnest efforts that this great organization has come into being. Mr. Mayer is also the Vice President of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, whose artists won three of the first awards of the Academy this year. Mr. Mayor has something very interesting.
1: Let's go all the way back to 1927. Moving forward with an award ceremony was hardly the top of the Academy's priorities at first, so the show did fall by the wayside for a short while as the Academy worked with the labor unions. It wasn't until May 1928 that the committee's proposition was approved and given the go-ahead. The original proposition included 12 award categories, the list of which was finalized in June of that year. These categories were Achievement by an Actor, Actress, Dramatic Directing, Comedic Directing, Cinematography, Art Direction, Engineering Effects, Original Story Writing Screenplay, Adaptive Writing Screenplay, and Title Writing. The following month, the committee established the nomination and selection process. This was the foundation of the Academy Awards. It was decided that the first award ceremony would honor films that were released between August 1, 1927, and July 31, 1928. The Academy members would be the ones who would vote on and decide which films would be nominated for each category. Five boards of judges, one from each of the Academy's original branches, then determined the 10 candidates with the most votes in each category and narrowed those 10 down to three recommendations. A central board of judges, which consisted of one member from each branch, selected the final winners. This is kind of similar, but not exactly what is done today as far as getting the nominees, but we'll cover that in more detail next week. So, it looks like the Academy's going to do an award ceremony. But what was that award going to look like? The task with designing the Academy Award fell to MGM art director Cedric Gibbons. Cedric was an Irish-American art director whom by the end of his career would have over 1,500 film credits. During his 32-year film career, he would win 11 of the awards he designed. Gibbons sent his design to sculptor George Stanley, whom turned the award into a reality. The first version of the Academy Award would be bronze with 24-karat gold plating, though during World War II they would be made from plaster. Modern Oscars are made of gold-plated Britannium. Other than the materials that they are made of, the design of the trophy, with the exception of a pedestal base increase in 1945, has remained the same. A golden knight standing on a reel of film holding a sword. Not every winner received that award in the early days. For example, when the supporting categories were added, the award was basically a glorified plaque. This would eventually change, and all awards, save for special ones, receive the same statue. Starting in 1950, the Oscar statues were legally encumbered by the Academy for the cost of $1. Basically, when someone wins an Oscar, they must sign an agreement with the Academy that when they die, if their estate ever opts to get rid of the award, they must sell it back to the Academy. If they disagree with this, the Academy takes their award back. This keeps the Academy Award from being sold in auctions, which has happened several times over the years. In 1989, for example, Michael Todd's grandson tried to sell his grandfather's Oscar for the 1956 production of Around the World in 80 Days to a movie prop collector. The Academy earned enforcement of its statue contract by gaining a permanent injunction against the sale. In 1992, Harold Russell co-signed his 1946 Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for the Best Years of Our Lives to auction in order to raise money for his wife's medical expenses. Though this decision caused controversy, the first ever statue to be sold to a private collector occurred on August 6, 1992 for the low, low price of $60,500, which is about $110,000 today. Russell defended his action saying, quote, I don't know why anybody would be critical. My wife's health is much more important than sentimental reasons. The movie will be here even if Oscar isn't. In December 2011, Orson Welles' 1941 Award for Citizen Kane for Best Original Screenplay was put up for auction after his heirs won a 2004 court decision contending that Welles did not sign any agreement to return the statute to the Academy. On December 20th, 2011, it sold in an online auction for $861,542, which is $979,200 now. Some buyers said, specifically Steven Spielberg, whom purchased Betty Davis's award for the film Jezebel after her former assistant sold it at an auction, as well as Clark Gable's 1935 Oscar for It Happened One Night, have subsequently returned the statuettes to the Academy, who keeps them in its treasury. Yes, the Academy has a treasury. Now, for the more astute listener, you'll notice that I've been trying not to say the name Oscar when referring to the award show, except maybe in the intro. That's because it wasn't called that yet. The unofficial nickname given to the award was made official in 1939, and there are three, well, two and a half versions of where the name originated. The first is from a Betty Davis legend, which claims that the name Oscar was monikered after Davis, whom was briefly the president of the AMPAs in 1941, observed that the award looked like her husband at the time Harmon Oscar Nelson. The more popular origin story for the name, however, comes from the aforementioned Margaret Herrick, who was the first librarian of the Academy. Upon seeing the award for the first time in 1931, she declared that it looked just like her uncle Oscar. Columnist Sidney Skulsky was there when Margaret made this observation and was the one who first published the name in the papers in an article on March 16, 1934, in anticipation of the sixth Oscars Ceremony At that year's ceremony, none other than Walt Disney thanked the Academy for his Oscar, and the name has stuck since. The name was officially adopted by the Academy in 1939 and was trademarked in 1975. Where the name actually originated from has never been determined.
0: The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences 25th Annual Academy Awards. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you are looking west on Hollywood Boulevard. Perhaps population changes have swung the motion picture industry away from this historic street somewhat, but it will always remain a little bit in nostalgia and memory, something like 42nd Street and Broadway. Here in the Pantages tonight is the world's most glamorous audience, nearly 3,000 strong, all waiting to see the Oscars handed out, and almost all are either rooting for friends or keeping their fingers crossed for themselves. Closely and there you can see some of your favorites the screen.
1: The first Academy Awards took place on May 16, 1929, at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. About 270 guests were in attendance for the private dinner. The ceremony itself lasted a mere 15 minutes or so, and a post-awards party took place at the Mayfair Hotel in downtown LA for an entry fee of $5. The award show was so popular among motion picture enthusiasts and with the public at large that for the second award show, the Academy partnered with a radio company to broadcast the second ceremony. For the first ceremony and until 1940, the winners were released to the press beforehand for publishing in the newspaper's evening editions. For the first ceremony, this was done three months beforehand, so everyone knew whether or not they won three months before the banquet. The practice of giving the names up beforehand ended in 1940 because the LA Times printed the names of the winners in the early morning edition before the ceremony, which kind of put a damper on the evening as the nominees could essentially stroll in with an answer key courtesy of the LA Times. Since then, the winners are a closely guarded secret until read on the stage at the award ceremony. Since everyone knew for three months before the first ceremony who won, Emil Jannings, the first Best Actor winner for his roles in The Last Command and The Way of All Flesh, knew he wouldn't be in town for the ceremony as he had to return to Europe for work. The Academy gave him his prize before the ceremony, making him the first official Academy Award winner. For the first four ceremonies, actors and actresses were not nominated only for their work in a single film, but rather were nominated based on all films released during the eligibility period. The most films one actor or actress won for was Janet Gaynor, whose Best Actress Oscar was for her work in three separate films. By the time of the second annual award ceremony on April 3rd, 1930, the number of categories was reduced to seven, dramatic and comedic directing was condensed to one award called Best Direction, and title writing became a one-off. Best Picture Production and Best Unique and Artistic Production became Best Picture. By the sixth ceremony, the eligibility rules changed the timeline from which a film could be honored. Instead of August to July, the Academy shifted it to the calendar year, which was the case until the 93rd Academy Awards. The eligibility of that spans 14 months due to the COVID-19 pandemic shutting down theaters. More on that next week. For the first 24 years, the ceremony was announced over the radio for non-invitees to tune in. Starting in 1953, the ceremony was televised in the U.S., spreading internationally in 1969. Today, there are 23 separate award categories with 15 discontinued ones. Notable additions over the years include film editing, music scoring, and song, which were added in 1934. Supporting actor and actress were added in 1936. Special effects came in 1939. Costume design followed in 1948. The 29th Ceremony in 1957 added the Best Foreign Film category, which would be renamed Best International Feature Film in 2020. Before this award was added to the main ceremony, it was given out as a special or honorary award. The first film to win in this category, as well as Best Picture, was Parasite at the 92nd Academy Awards. Parasite is currently the only non-English speaking film to win Best Picture. At the 74th ceremony in 2002, Best Animated Picture, aka the token Disney Pixar Prize, they've currently won 15 out of 19 of them, was added to the lineup. Until this year, from 2001 to 2020, there were 24 categories, but sound mixing and sound editing, which were introduced in 1930-31 and the 1968 ceremonies respectively, have since been condensed into one category. Additionally, there have been a few rejected categories, including Best Casting, which was denied in 1999, Best Popular Film, which hasn't been rejected yet, but has been postponed because everybody hated it, Best Stunt Coordination, which was denied from 91 to 2012, and Best Title Design, which was rejected also in 1999. Outside of the main awards, there is also another annual ceremony, which started in 2009 called the Governor's Awards. These awards are widely the lifetime achievement recognitions, including the Academy Honorary Award, the Gene Hersholt Humanitarian Award, and the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. Before 2009, these awards were presented during the main ceremony, but were cut from the telecast to save time. Now they are mentioned during the ceremony in a brief package. There are also the SciTech Awards of Merit, which have been around since the fourth ceremony in 1931 to recognize original developments, resulting in significant improvements in motion picture production and exhibition. These awards are presented at a formal dinner ceremony a couple of weeks before the principal Academy Awards ceremony. The most famous special award ever given out by the Academy is probably the one bestowed on Walt Disney for his revolutionary film Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. The award features one full-size Oscar, with seven little ones on a wedge surrounding it.
0: from Hollywood to our viewers all around the world. Thank you for watching, thank you for having me. It is a great honor to be invited back for a second time. It's a great honor to be here among so many talented women and men. Congratulations to all of you, you made it. We're at the Oscars. Some of you will be going home tonight with an Academy Award. What could be better than that? Nothing, right? So, oh, I do wanna mention, this year when you hear your name called, Don't get up right away. (laughs) give us a minute. We don't want another thing. What happened last year was unfortunate. I've not told the story in public because I wanted to save it for tonight, but here's what happened. This is true. Last year, about a week before the show, the producers asked me if I wanted to do uh, some comedy with the accountants, and I said, no, I don't want to do comedy with the accountants. So then the accountants went ahead and did comedy on their own. (laughs) And I have to hand it to them. It was hilarious, but it won't happen again. This year, the chairman of PricewaterhouseCoopers said, and I quote, our singular focus will be on the show and delivering the correct envelopes, which is, uh, does make sense. Just out of curiosity, though, uh, what was your focus the other 89 years? <laughs> I'm hopeful that things will go smoothly tonight. We can't ruin this one. This is a special year. This is a big one. These are the 90th Academy Awards. This is history happening right here.
1: Another huge part of the award ceremony are the hosts. 73 people have served as the master of ceremony for the Oscars in its 93-year history, starting with Douglas Fairbanks at the first one. Oscar hosts have included actors, film directors, musicians, and comedians. Oh, and an animated Disney character. That's right. In 1958, Donald Duck co-hosted the Academy Awards alongside Bob Hope, David Niven, James Stewart, Jack Lemmon, and Rosalind Russell. Donald didn't actually appear on stage, of course, only on pre-animated packages, but this marks the only time that any animated character has officially hosted the Oscars. For the last two years, the Oscars have been hostless, after a scandal involving homophobic tweets from the 91st ceremony's chosen MC, Kevin Hart, forced Hart to drop out. That year, for the first time since 1987, no official host or hosts presided over the ceremony. This year, as of writing this, there is no official host announced for the 2021 ceremony. The Oscars has had many homes over the years, starting with the Hollywood Roosevelt. Other notable locations have been the Ambassador and Biltmore Hotels. Grauman's Chinese Theater, the Pantages Theater, and the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion have hosted the ceremony as well. The show's longest home, however, is the Dolby Theater, which was previously known as the Kodak Theater, on Hollywood and Highland. The complex was built within a popular shopping and entertainment complex. You can, well, pre-pandemic, go to a Dave & Buster's and play ball like 500 feet away from where Green Book somehow won Best Picture at the 2019 ceremony. This year, for the first time, the Oscars will take place at two separate locations, the Dolby and Union Stations. More on what to expect from this year's ceremony in a couple of weeks. Now for some less positive news about the Academy. In 2016, the Academy was chastised, not for the first time, for its failure to recognize the achievements of minority performers and professionals. Because for the second year in a row, all 20 nominees in the acting categories were Caucasian. The president of the academy at the time, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who was not only the first African-American, but only the third woman to ever lead the academy, had previously denied that there was a problem with representation. When asked initially if the academy had difficulty with recognizing diversity, she replied, quote, not at all. The next year, when once again, all of the nominations were for all white actors, which led the president of the African-American Film Critics Association to call it, quote, offensive. The Academy at large is overwhelmingly white, and the question was raised whether conscious or unconscious if racial biases had played a role. Director Spike Lee was interviewed shortly after the list was announced in 2016, and he pointed out that Hollywood leadership was the root of the problem. Quote, we may win an Oscar now and then, but an Oscar is not going to fundamentally change how Hollywood does business. I'm not talking about Hollywood stars. I'm talking about executives. We're not in the room. Cheryl Boone Isaacs also released a statement in which she said, quote, I am both heartbroken and frustrated about the lack of inclusion. This is a difficult but important conversation, and it's time for big changes. A boycott was called for the 2016 Oscars for failing to recognize minority achievements, and the board voted to make, quote, historic changes to its membership. Speaking of membership, it is very, very white and very, very male. Breakdowns of who actually votes on the Oscars show something that is anything but inclusive. According to a February 2020 study conducted by the LA Times, the Academy at that time was 94% white, 77% male, 86% aged 50 or older, and the Academy as a whole had a medium age of 62. No wonder the ratings for the show have plummeted in recent years. The films that are being chosen are by people with very different tastes of a more modern audience. A lot of work still has to be done when it comes to addressing diversity in film, not only within the AMPAs, but the industry as a whole. The Academy has set up a series of programs, including the A2020 Initiative, which was announced in January 2016 to double the number of women and people of color in membership by 2020. What started out as a group of film professionals wanting to mediate labor disputes has now become the organization that gives out the largest award in film. On top of that, the Academy has ensured that the history of cinema is maintained so that films that were made 100 plus years ago, all the way to today, can still be enjoyed for generations to come.
0: There is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. There is no prosthetic for that everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job we don't go out anymore slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller and all we say is just leave us alone well i'm not going to leave you alone now you can either accept that or you can get to work you're busy living you get busy dying the night is darkest just before the dawn i promise you the dawn is coming it is with passion, courage of conviction, that we take our next steps into the world. What is it? The sky! What awesome!
1: We must find a way to look after one another.
0: To live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. And it may sound easy, but nothing could be harder. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how
1: hard you can get hit and keep moving forward.
0: So your story does have a happy ending? Well... That's up to you.
1: I really hope the last bits of this are legible. I've been trying to record at night when everyone's asleep, but I did not manage to do that this week. And this week's weird noise that happens outside my door seems to be a birthday party. So hopefully that all sounded okay. Anyway, if there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media, where I also post photos for each episode at Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore factory on Twitter, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at tinsel factory Pod at gmail, Dot com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there, so if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. In order to keep making the podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. I also have a Venmo code which is at Tinsel Factory Pod. Any help would be hot. I've also got merch. Check it out in the show notes. I added some I Wanna Be merch based off of my January episodes, which I think are pretty cool. So if you want to check those out, they are pretty cool. Next week, we're covering the modern requirements for a film to be nominated for an Oscar and what the road to the big night is like. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, that's a wrap.